The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. All ideas expressed are opinions and property of host Dr. Dory Lynn or the Center for Relationships, Sexuality, and Spirituality, LLC. It's time for Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. Your host is Dr. Dory Lynn. Age and experience are an asset, and Dr. Dory has put together experience, stories, some great guests, and connections with you front and center for a fun-filled adventure. We invite your participation as well. Now, here is Dr. Dory Lynn. This is Dr. Dory Lynn. And you are listening, as you know, to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. And today I'm going to veer a little bit. Usually I speak a great deal and give uh, quite a thorough introduction to my guests. But my guests today are very special people and they are very accustomed to talking about themselves. I know that because I have heard them and have been listening to them for over a week, and I have heard them in person, or at least heard Dr. Even Alexander. So let me just tell you a tiny bit about who they are and why I believe their work is crucial. And I do believe their work is groundbreaking and crucial. Even Alexander is a physician, And he was an academic neurosurgeon for over 25 years, including 15 years at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, Children's Hospital, and Harvard Medical School in Boston. He has a passionate interest in physics, cosmology. He is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven, Heaven, The Map of Heaven, and Living in a Mindful Universe. And... uh, Dr. Alexander has had a particular experience that has changed his entire life. Karen Newell, his partner and co-worker on this work, comes from a slightly different background. She is co-founder of Sacred Acoustics. It is a lifelong passion and a lifelong journey that has brought her to a sense of consciousness and teaching consciousness and mindfulness. She has spent uh, a lifetime, as I said, seeking wisdom through esoteric teachings and firsthand experience exploring realms of consciousness. She empowers others by demonstrating how to connect to inner guidance, achieve inspiration, improve wellness, and deep inspiration and intuition. She is co-founder of Sacred Acoustics and co-author with Dr. Eben Alexander of Living in a Mindful Universe. And I was drawn to their work because at the age of almost 78, as a young woman 
before it was very popular and I had been trained and uh, Evan, you would get a kick out of this, I think. I was trained as a psychoanalyst when women were not trained as a psychoanalyst. Um, it was a almost predominantly male field oh. and and um, in fact it was very unusual for women to be in the field altogether it's changed quite a bit and I started to practice and after a few years I decided this was not very good and very useful for my patients for me, I didn't think it helped people particularly. It was an interesting intellectual exercise. So I took myself off to places like California, Esalen, which was a very interesting uh, learning place at that time. And I took myself off to India and the East for a year to study alternative ways of healing. So it was an immersion into consciousness and alternative ways of being and so my whole life has been integrating both eastern and western thought and I'm no Karen you know something about what that is like as you do Evan I know in your last book you try to unite science your last book which is called living in a mindful universe you try to unite and successfully, in my view, a very ambitious effort to unite science and spirituality, two topics that are typically seen as opposites and are rarely so thoroughly addressed in the same book. And in the book, you try to reach a broad audience, which is what I try to do, with both scientific and spiritual leanings, and everyone in between. So this is a book, as you so beautifully say, It's a book, it's a message for all of humanity and a changing world. Where would you like to start with that introduction? Evan, perhaps you. That's a a beautiful introduction. Thank you for sharing all of that. And and what I'd like to do is simply uh, kind of carry it on a bit to the next level and uh, kind of give people a, a a personal version of why this has been such a challenge to me and why it's also been such a gift. Uh, I'd spent the first 54 years of my life honing a very uh, kind of conventional scientific worldview. I was deeply steeped in the uh, kind of assumptions of the scientific revolution uh, concerning physicalism, that is the notion that only the physical world exists, and therefore if we can understand all the rules that, that govern the subatomic particles and everything else in this material universe, then we can understand everything there is. And I fully believed that to be true as much as uh, my father had been a tremendous influence on me, and he was a, a world-renowned neurosurgeon. He was very scientific. But for him, uh, you know, he had grown up uh, during the Great Depression and the the Second World War and all that. Uh, For him, there was never any conflict at all between the science that he studied and knew so well and his belief in God. He had a a very strong uh, kind of religious uh, belief in God. His own father had been a general surgeon who had taken him to uh, church every Sunday. So for him, there was no conflict. For me, growing up in the 60s and 70s, I always knew science was the pathway to truth. And for a long time, I kind of succumbed to... uh, uh, There's a beautiful quote I love to share from Werner Heisenberg, the winner of Nobel 
prize in physics, 1932, one of the founding fathers of quantum physics, who said that the first sip from the glass of the natural sciences will lead you towards atheism, but at the bottom of the glass, God awaits you. And I now know much more fully what he really meant by all that, because I was seduced by that uh, natural sciences and, and the science of kind of materialist thought. Um, and I will just alert your listeners that that science, that conventional science, has absolutely nothing to say about consciousness. In fact, it often tries to just say consciousness doesn't even exist. There's something called the hard problem of consciousness, which is a very deep philosophical problem indeed. But anyway, uh, in November 2008, my previous worldview based in conventional scientific materialism came crashing to a halt. I had uh, woke with severe back pain, severe headache, uh, lapsed into coma and seizures, was then hauled off to the emergency room, um, and I spent the next seven days in coma. That coma was due to a very aggressive bacterial meningoencephalitis that involved all eight lobes of my brain. It drove me into coma within three and a half hours. Uh, and in fact, my doctors had plenty of evidence that my uh, mental function, the, you know, the neocortical function of my brain was shut down uh, to being pretty much inoperable. Uh, they also knew from my scans, CT and MRI scans, that all eight lobes of my brain were affected. I really had no place in my brain for any kind of dream or hallucination or drug effect to even manifest as a phenomenal experience because that whole neocortex was so badly damaged by the meningoencephalitis. In fact, even my brain stem was damaged. Uh, so to have had any experience at all was a complete violation of everything I'd come to believe about neuroscience and what it says about the use of the brain in creating consciousness. And when I did come back to this world after this extraordinary spiritual experience that I explain in Proof of Heaven, uh, and as I'm telling you now, should not have happened at all according to our conventional neuroscientific beliefs, uh, when I came back to this world, my brain was truly wrecked. I didn't even recognize loved ones at the bedside, like my mother, my sisters, my sons. I had no idea who these beings were. And my language, uh, all my personal memories, every bit of that had been eliminated during my NDE. So one of the atypical features of my near-death experience is that I was amnesic for the life of Evan Alexander during the experience. And uh, then when I came back to this world, it took really two months for my mind to fully recover. My brain was just savaged by the events, uh, but uh, those memories came back, and language came back within hours and days, childhood memories over weeks, and all of my semantic knowledge, everything I'd known before my coma came back fully by about two months after my coma. And that was all, every bit of it was a tremendous shock to me because it violated everything I thought I knew about conscious experience being generated by the brain and by memories being stored in the brain. Because my experience showed very clearly that memories are not stored in the brain at all, which is something that I would say neurosurgeons had suspected to some degree over many decades because out of all those millions of resections we'd been doing, never had there been a case of someone with broad swathes of long-term memory disappearing after a neurosurgical resection. So we had evidence that memory wasn't really stored in the brain, but nobody knew where to go with that. Anyway... um, What has happened is the last 10 years since that experience, I have found that uh, there's a tremendous scientific effort to understand all this. And it's not the typical neuroscience of consciousness and studying the brain that you would think, but it involves a much bigger 
uh, kind of notion of awareness and of consciousness and of study. In fact, I would say the modern science of consciousness also uh, acknowledges many parapsychological phenomena, all the phenomena of non-local consciousness, that is the scientific evidence of uh, of telepathy and things like that. And I think what we're finding is that just as the quantum physicists, like Werner Heisenberg was trying to tell us in that beautiful quote I mentioned a few minutes ago, is that consciousness is fundamental in the universe. And this is something that my uh, coma journey showed me very clearly. And it's important to point out that book, The Proof of Heaven. Uh, from my point of view, it's all about the neuroscience of consciousness and an emerging view of science that fully admits to the realities not only of the afterlife, but of reincarnation. Because uh, the scientific evidence for reincarnation is also very strong. At the University of Virginia, Division of Perceptual Studies, over the last six decades, they've studied Stanford, more than 2,700 cases of past life memories in children uh, that are best explained through actual reincarnation. So the, the modern scientific model as it pertains to human experience and notions of brain, mind, and consciousness needs to expand tremendously to explain all these phenomena. And it's something that does involve quantum physics, and that is probably the deepest presentation of the mind-body uh, relationship. And um, what I've come to realize is that there is a tremendous awakening going on in the scientific community uh, in our current era that is a complete revolution beyond the simplistic and false uh, notion of physicalism. That is, the brain creates consciousness, our existence is birth to death and nothing more. Uh, the current science of consciousness goes far beyond all that and shows tremendous potential uh, for humans to come to a much deeper understanding of our uh, relationship with this universe and also our ability to manifest uh, basically the, the dream of our higher soul. And that's where I think all of this is headed. And it turns out that that materialist science that uh, I had worshipped for the first 54 years of my life uh, is a big reason this world is in so much trouble. You know, we like to think, oh, look at all the scientific development. Evan, before, before, you, before you go there, can you hear me? Yes. Can you, can you hear me? Uh, I'm going to ask a question that I'm sure you've been asked previously, and it's a little off uh, what you're saying. Do you believe that your experience was necessary for you to change? that somehow it was given to you to change your thinking? I would say yes, in many ways, yeah. It, I mean, a, a near-death experience is always, to some degree, tailored for the soul undergoing it. And for someone like me as a neuroscientist interested in physics, uh, wanting to know much more about consciousness, this was a perfect journey that was tailored for my understanding. Uh, and I, it's important to point out, though, that uh, for my personal growth and experience, this experience was necessary. But I also believe that our modern science and an objective comparison of information can uh, allow for us to take many such experiences and to extrapolate from them certain rules that I believe are applicable to everyone. 
So as much as Karen and I talk often about how personal experience is the ultimate gift that allows us to get to this kind of higher level of knowing, I believe, especially as we presented in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, and for people who want to learn more, if you go to evanalexander.com, start looking through my website, some of the presentations and information, I think the information is there so that any thoughtful, reflective human being in the current era can take this information and really come to uh, mature their worldview tremendously beyond the simplistic worldviews of materialism that I think are outdated already. So, well, what words, I was yeah, really, what I'm, what I'm really, I'm, I'm stopping you. I told, I promised you I would. Uh, what I'm really going after and want our listeners to hear is that sometimes an experience that seems as if it's the end of the world in the moment really can be a transitional experience to an entirely new way of life that we in the moment don't always know what a trauma or traumatic experience can bring us to in our, our thinking, our evolution, our development. We, not all of us need it, but in this case, it brought you to something quite different. I was yes. getting well, that is very in- well put. I would say that's very much the case. And, and I, we often talk about hardships being gifts. Right. Right, and in your case, that was definitely the case. Well, yes. I, we I, have I, about 30 seconds to wind up this little section, and then either, Evan, you can continue, or maybe, Karen, your, your journey has been quite different. Maybe you might chime in with uh, something about how you have done this work, I think, for most of your life, and what brought the two of you together to share this kind of training, education, and love, and I use the word love with, with great care, for humanity and for consciousness. So yes. we'll take a break, and then, Karen, will that be all right with you if we start with you? Sure, yeah. I think that's perfect. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to just take a break and come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Dory Lynn's latest book, Sex for Grownups, reveals the truths, lies, and must-tries for great sex after 50. Now published by Simon & Schuster, this book shows that no matter the age, sex can be a wonderful experience, but there are efforts that need to be taken. Read the book, try some of the suggestions, and live a happier life with better sex. Right now, for a limited time, mention Voice America and get 20% off the book when you email Dr. Dory at drdory.com. That's D-R-D-O-R-R-E-E at drdory.com. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to lead up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your hosts, Colleen Biggs and Dee Daniels, speak with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. 
Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit, with Dr. Dory Lynn. We want to hear from you today at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to drdory at drdory.com. Now, back to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. Dr. Dory at Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit, which from my point of view covers most of life. Uh, We don't deal with finances. We don't deal with politics. We just deal with the essence. And you can call 1-88-346-9141. If you miss this wonderful show, you can get us on the podcast of your dreams. You can go to Spotify, Zoom, any any podcast center, and you can listen at your leisure. With me today, if you've missed it, is Dr. Evan Alexander, who's been talking a little bit about his near-death experience, and he's now going to introduce his partner and co-worker, Karen Newell. Hi there, Karen, and let Evan introduce you. All right. Um, so, from what I've said so far, I think people probably understand I tend to get up in my head a little bit. As an academic neurosurgeon interested in consciousness, brain, and mind, uh, that is truly the case. But my journey showed me very clearly this is all about love, and it's also about um, how we look at the universe. Is it a cold, chaotic, uh, you know, physical machine, or is there something more going on? There is... To, what an NDE shows you is there's far more going on. And when I met Karen Newell, my life partner and co-author of um, our book, uh, Living in Mindful Universe, back in November 2011, I realized she taught me two things very quickly. One was the power of heart consciousness and an understanding of that binding force of love that I knew was so powerful, but I was trying to work it into my scientific framework, and and Karen showed me very clearly how that can be done. Uh, Likewise, uh, my work in consciousness was leading me to realizing that... uh, 
idealism, that the mental kind of organizational principles of the world are very crucial to understand in, the, in any understanding of the scientific nature of this universe. And Karen had been living her whole life as an idealist, knowing the full power of the mental and of her, uh, basically, the free will of her higher spirit. And so without further ado, I would like to introduce you to my best half, uh, Karen Newell. Well, thank you, Eben. And yes, we are uh, coming at this from completely different backgrounds, and this was very apparent the first time we met. And we were at a, um, a conference where we were learning how to explore consciousness, and I knew he had had a near-death experience. But Proof of Heaven hadn't come out yet. He hadn't really been making a lot of public talks about it. But word was he'd had a near-death experience. And I had known other people who had had such experiences, and my understanding was that when you have these kinds of things happen to you, that very often, if not always, an incredibly profound personal lesson about your life or how you deal with relationships or something is what occurs after in the aftermath. And so I asked Evan, you know, what did you learn? What was your biggest lesson that you came out of from your near-death experience during your coma journey? And he says to me, the brain doesn't create consciousness. And I was kind of confused, and I, I looked at him, and I said, well, why would anyone think that it does? And <laughs> right away, this blew his mind, because he had grown up in that staunch materialist kind of attitude that really is the philosophy and worldview that our entire Western secular culture runs on. But somehow, I had not had that understanding myself. I did not think that the brain uh, creates all of our consciousness. I knew that something else was going on that predates our brain. And I knew this from two things. One, I had rejected, really I had rejected science pretty early on when uh, I wanted to know answers to questions like, why are we here and what is our purpose? And science had no understanding of that at all. What they had was an understanding about the mechanism of the physical world. And that was interesting, and I trust science to figure all of that out. But they were nowhere near being able to answer these kinds of questions, like our meaning and purpose of humanity and why we even exist. And so for that, I turned to other types of things. And, of course, in my young years, I was exposed to the Christian religion, as many of us in the U.S. are, and mine was Methodist religion. And that didn't satisfy me either. Uh, I didn't understand how the Christian, basic Christian dogma could really be true, the idea that belief in a person like Jesus would grant us privilege to where we went in the afterlife, either heaven or hell. And this didn't make sense to me. To me, as a child, I couldn't understand why belief in a person could give you that privilege. And so I sought desperately for answers. And it took me a while. I needed to get a little older and get more exposed to other types of religions. And I quickly learned that religions, all the different religions in the world, very often contradict each other. And so this left me nowhere, because what I wanted was the capital T truth, a universal truth that can apply in every situation. This is what is so hard to find. So then I turned to esoteric texts, mostly Western esoteric texts, things like uh, theosophy or anthroposophy, um, Kabbalah. There's all kinds of different uh, spiritual traditions out there that aren't really part of 
traditional religions. And here is where I started to find some answers. And I started to find commonalities between these different traditions. And things that they all agreed on were the things I felt could be considered capital T truth. And one of the may, may, may I just in order say, to really can understand, you can you hear me? We may world. have a um, we may have a, a a glitch in our connection. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I I would question what you just said. From my study of Kabbalah and Sufism and and esoteric and theosophy and esoteric Christianity. I think they are all part of this of their particular religions. They're what we would call the left of the religion, the part that is not accepted by the general public. It's not that they're not part of their a different view of of a religion. Would you say that's true? Well, my understanding was, is that things like Sufism and uh, Kabbalah are the mystical traditions exactly. that can be associated with the religion, but they're not part of what the common, you know, churchgoer is going to be exposed to or synagogue goer. Exactly. Um, so there were these mystical traditions, and the thing that I was really inspired by was the fact that pretty much all of them agreed that the soul is eternal that we do uh, have an existence beyond this physical body. And that is what fascinated me so much, is that they agreed on this, basically, with their different fashions of doing so. And so, really, to understand this, they also are very, these types of traditions are also very much pointing towards direct experience. And you can read about things all you want in a book and decide and analyze and pontificate, but until you actually have a direct experience, Eben had that experience. He was gifted that, as you said. I believe it was totally a gift that allowed him to break out of this mindset. And in my case, I cultivated it. It wasn't a gift, but I tried many, many, many different practices in order to try and get in touch with that me behind my thoughts, my emotions, my daily activities. There's a grander part of us that we can all get in touch with, and that is the part of us that maybe has telepathic abilities or has out-of-body experiences, or basically it's just an acknowledgement of the non-physical part of ourselves. And in order to experience that, you have to try different techniques. And so, like you, I tried many, many, many different techniques, and the basics of meditation are pretty much critical to all of them. And by that I mean just the ability to sit quietly and recognize the part of you that's separate from your thoughts, the thoughts that are just rambling, the anxieties, the concerns, the worries. Those are what would dominate my mind when I would just try to sit quietly and meditate. And so I thought I was one of those people who couldn't meditate, and yet I would go to another class and they would always say, let's do a meditation. So... I really had to learn how to do that, and I struggled. And what finally started to help me was a certain quality of sound. Things like tuning forks or gongs or crystal bowls or brass bowls, they all emit this sort of wah, wah, wah kind of soothing sound. And, you know, airplanes and train rides and things can do that for some people. But in my case, it was these musical instruments. And it was brainwave entrainment technology, something that includes something known as binaural beats, this audio technology that you can listen to at home in the, 
you know, with headphones. And, and that is when I really started to learn how to quiet the mind, how to get beyond the uh, here and now of my worries and concerns into this greater sort of essence that uh, I believe we all are made of an essence that enters the physical body to have an experience and then exits the physical body to continue an experience in the spiritual mold. So this is what got me interested in sound. And when I first started to meditate, I thought, well, I'll be like all of those monks I hear about. I'll rise above my emotions and connect with this universal mind source or something. But what happened for me is that I started having all these emotional triggers I would get quiet with myself, especially when I would focus on the heart area. I know a lot about heart math and different ways of doing um, heart meditations, specifically a Sufi method called heart rhythm meditation. But when you start to pay attention like this and go within, very often we found that old emotional traumas or anxieties will start to get triggered. And so the first thing I had to do was kind of allow all those uh, things to be triggered and allow them to be released. And, you know, you were talking, Dr. Dory, about uh, psychoanalysis and how it didn't really work. And, you know, I could talk about my relationship troubles or anything all I want, but until I actually started triggering those emotions and dealing with the raw feelings that I had suppressed over these many, you know, decades of dealing with things, um, that's when I really started to see progress. And so having a practice of going within is so valuable. This is Dr. Dore. Can you, this is Dr. Dore. Um, I, I wanted to dovetail on that because We talk about this journey as if it's a singular experience, and we talk about it as if it's um, easy, not really easy, but that it's something we go through. We know Evan had this NDE, and it was dramatic. And if your experience was anything like mine, there were times when going further in my own search and finding teachers uh, was a challenge. There were times I wasn't sure whether I was sane or crazy in Western terms. And it was a very frightening experience at times to let some of these deep emotional experiences emerge. And I wanted to... um, emphasize that because I think in our society people are afraid to to express and to go with these experiences and I want to um, emphasize this because last week I had an experience personally that just stunned me I went for a what I call my well adult checkup you know the way they give you a well baby checkup and I came out just fabulously, and the nurse practitioner said to me, are you ever anxious? And I said, of course. She didn't ask me why, like maybe doing the show or uh, something new, and I do think that in order to have courage, one sometimes, one almost always has to have fear. So... 
I said, yes, of course I'm anxious sometimes. And her response was to pull out three antidepressants and say, which would you like? And I was, I was, and just furious. And I said to her, actually, well, what's wrong with a little bit of anxiety? And we did not get into a whole conversation. I did say to her, you know, I'm from New York City, and uh, sometimes we believe a little bit of you stress, uh, which is good stress, is productive. And sometimes anxiety can be the equivalent of excitement. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. We did not get into a major conversation. But when she pulled those choices out, mm. I, well, I was... That, that, that really speaks to, that issue hits me really hard because that really speaks to what Eben is talking about, that the, the idea that chemicals and uh, hormones are that can be altered to change our moods is certainly... a huge trend in medicine, which you just pointed out, to not even ask you a question. The same thing happened to me when my daughter was having all kinds of trouble in her teenage years, and she ended up being a little bit suicidal. I say a little bit because she never actually physically tried, but she claimed to be suicidal and had all kinds of other issues, and all of the medical professionals that we saw wanted to give her medications. But while she was having all of these troubles, she was also busy abusing these same exact medications that she would trade amongst her friends that they would get from each other or from their parents or grandparents' medicine cabinets. And I knew this. And I said, why would I give my daughter her own bottles of medications? And like you, I was told to put her on a cocktail of medications, maybe four different ones at once, and that that would solve all her problems. And this doctor, when I said, no, I'm not going to do that, actually said he could take me to court to force me to give them to her and that I was borderline abusing my daughter by not allowing her to take them. Well, lo and behold, I stuck to my guns and several years later, when she was a little bit past her troubles, um, she told me after graduating from high school that I was correct. She did want to have her own supply, and if she had had her own supply, she very likely would have had enough to take her own life. And so... This isn't as, as a, as a, we're going to have to, Karen, we're going to have to take a break. But as a mother, I do want you to know I have had a similar experience. And that particular daughter is a mother of her own and is just wonderful. But I was told basically that I was a terrible mother because I wouldn't listen and I followed my own directions. And I think this is such... My daughter is also a mother, a very good mother right now, and I'm a proud grandmother. It's awesome. Me too. So this is a statement about medicine today, and I feel a little less lonely as I speak about these issues because I know that if we can get that message out, Maybe a few other people can listen and not just take what is offered. Let's stop for now and come back to this or whatever else um, after the break. Thank you so much for your personal revelations and story. You're welcome.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Redson. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Dorian Lynn's latest book, Sex for Grown-Ups, reveals the truths, lies, and must-tries for great sex after 50. Now published by Simon & Schuster, this book shows that no matter the age, sex can be a wonderful experience, but there are efforts that need to be taken. Read the book, try some of the suggestions, and live a happier life with better sex. Right now, for a limited time, mention Voice America and get 20% off the book when you email Dr. Dory at drdory.com. That's D-R-D-O-R-R-E-E at drdory.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit with Dr. Dory Lynn. We want to hear from you today at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to drdory at drdory.com. Now back to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. This is Dr. Dory with uh, Mindful Matters with Eben Alexander and Karen Newell, and we were just talking on the break about some of our beliefs that we share, and you reminded me, and I'm just going to add this, that my tagline for maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years, has been, life is too complex to do alone. Reach out. And I believe that in my soul. We, we must have other people to share with, bolster us. We live longer, healthier, happier. And I know the two of you are thrilled that your partnership has added to your life and your teaching. So please, Evan, you wanted to start? 
I didn't want to leave our listeners off thinking that we were some kind of anti-Western medicine. We're not advocating that at all. What we're advocating is a balance, is to not think that only pills will correct our mental or emotional issues. We must get into the target of it. You mentioned earlier that many people are afraid of triggering their old emotions, and I would say that our generally speaking, our secular Western world doesn't really value emotions very much. In fact, I know when I was a child and I would cry or something, I was told, you better stop crying, you know, go to your room. You can only do that in private. And uh, this can be very challenging then when we go out in the world, our emotions are triggered and they're, they're devalued if we get emotional. And so it's no wonder that most of us, I would say most, um, have really just learned how to suppress our emotional traumas. So things that were said to us by teachers, peers, parents, friends, whoever that got on our, into our systems that we didn't properly process is just waiting there to be triggered. And it also turns into um, physical problems. It long has been known for people who study this that different sorts of emotional issues can be uh, associated with different types of illness. And so we really feel like there's this spiritual vacuum that this materialist kind of uh, model has, has sucked the spirituality out of our very culture. And so Evan and I very much advocate this uh, understanding that each and every one of us, it's really an imperative as a human to really learn how to get inside your own psyche, not just your thoughts, but what's behind all of that. And what you find is when you start releasing all of these emotions, it was hard for me too, as Dr. Dory said, when you start triggering all of these things. But what's on the other side of that is something wonderful. And when we can start to release all of these old emotional traumas through practices of meditation or any number of other methods that are out there, we'll find out what works best for us only by trying. And each of us will find something slightly different. But as we do this, we start to recover that essence of who we really are. And that essence is made of love. And that love is really a birthright for all of us to find. And it's not necessarily going to come from the outside. It's not necessarily that we need to wait around for some other to love us the way we need to be loved. Where it starts is with generating that love from within. And the very first step towards that goal is to think and feel of things that you're grateful for. When you can start to generate feelings of gratitude, whether it's the blue sky or a, a child or whatever it is, a pet, a scene in nature, whatever it is you're grateful for, when you can start to trigger those feelings from within, this is the number one kind of activity that will bring you closer to that essence of who you are. And I know Evan has lots more to say on this topic. Yeah, I, I would just add that I think uh, one of the biggest uh, travesties of our the kind of dominance of the materialist mindset in our science and in our Western culture uh, is it leads to a false sense of separation uh, and this idea that all this is just a machine and that, uh, uh, you know, those emotions and everything that we feel about loving things and then and, and the loss of love and things like that uh, – that materialist mindset tries to pretend that that is not real. Um, in fact, I would say that the modern neuroscience of consciousness, as we open this uh, this hour podcast with, um, 
is really much more indicating that we're all connected. And I would say a modern kind of definition of spirituality, a working definition uh, that certainly works uh, for Karen and me in our workshops and writings and all, uh, it includes two main ingredients. One is acknowledging the connectedness of mind, uh, that we're all really sharing the one mind, as so many of those quantum physicists realize that the very experiments addressing the, the constituents of the physical world showed them very clearly the presence of mind, that you could not ignore mind, and that mind was not, you know, created by physical matter, but in fact was in charge of organizing physical matter. And uh, I think another thing to point out in this big discussion, a big scientific discussion of brain and mind and their interrelationships and how it might all work, uh, you know, the conventional science that I worship before my coma kept telling me brain creates consciousness. It's all just come from the physical world. You know, emotions aren't anything more than the interaction of various hormones or uh, neurotransmitter molecules with receptors on, on neurons and things like that. And I came to realize that that's completely backwards, that there is much more to all of this, um, and that mind is really primary. And that's why meditation is so important. And in our modern world, in the scientific world, as much as people try and pretend that it's all material and matter and brain, uh, look at what we do in medicine, placebo effect. For the last six decades, we've acknowledged that the best way to compare and look at a new treatment, a new drug or a new uh, uh, surgical procedure or what have you, is to do a placebo-controlled trial. And that placebo control is an acknowledgement that mind has tremendous power over uh, matter. And nowhere is that more true than in our health. And I came to realize that any physical, mental, or emotional health is first and foremost going to be spiritual health. And when I say spiritual there, it's not in the sense of religion, although religion can certainly contribute to great spiritual knowledge and, uh, and growth. Uh, but the big reality here is it's, it's that notion of connectedness through mind and also that our existence has a purpose, that there's a reason we're here, that this is all headed somewhere. And I think that gives us a much more kind of comforting way to view this world and a way to relate to it. And essential to every bit of that, certainly from my personal practice, is daily meditation. And I know that, you know, as Karen said earlier, that word can uh, uh, frighten people, and, and some people don't know what to make of meditation. For me, meditation is absolutely a form of centering prayer. But it's really coming to see that we don't just think our way to the answer through that little linguistic brain, uh, you know, the voice, the little thoughts in our head. That is not our consciousness. And that is not, in fact, who we are. The deep mystery of consciousness is that observer. It's the awareness of existence. And that is something we can do in, in deep meditation. I've developed a profound relationship with that primordial mind, with our kind of the confluence of our higher souls. And this is where I see true health coming into the picture. Uh, you know, uh, many in medicine realize that prayer can have tremendous power, uh, as we acknowledge placebo effect and beliefs. Uh, about well-being can have tremendous power, and especially when we come to realize that little voice in our head, those thoughts, that is not the magic of consciousness. That's little more than a parlor trick. As a neurosurgeon, I can show you the two tiny little areas in your brain that are part of that linguistic operation of, of speech and thinking. But that's I do, not the awareness. Evan, so. I, I do. I, I would like to expand 
just before we before we stop, and you may or may not agree, that the idea of a meditation, which I understand, there's a lovely quote that uh, I'm. It's not an exact quote that even the Dalai Lama does not wake up being the Dalai Lama. He spends four hours in the morning meditating and preparing for how he faces the world. But I do want to say that there are, I think, many paths, as you pointed out, this is not anti-science nor anti-Western nor uh, uh, anti-religion. There are many paths to meditation. I know for me, I started 40 years ago with yoga, and that was a wonderful way for me to lose my mind. I would just put it outside the room, and from there I developed other meditation practices. And people would say to me, why don't don't you do it by yourself? And I would say, because by myself I cheat. That's it. I cheat. I, I need a teacher. And to this day, I think a teacher is useful, and it has led me to meditation. But I I want to be very clear that there is no one path. Meditation, of course, is a path that has been used forever. Um, But let me ask you something else, just a little bit off on the edge. Um, What would you say about unconditional love? We were talking about being grateful and Uh, I'm using the word generosity as well. And what would you say are the necessities for unconditional love? And what would you, two questions, and what would you say, if you were to recommend, what would you recommend for people to do if they had only one thing to do right now? You have about two minutes to answer two questions. Okay, well, I'll answer the unconditional love one. Unconditional love is true 100% acceptance of who someone is with absolutely no judgment, whether whoever they are, you have no choice but to love them. That is true unconditional love. And, Eben, do you want to take the other one? Well, I would simply add to that that I believe unconditional love is uh, is an infinite source of healing, of becoming more whole. All of us, as I point out in, in uh, Proof of Heaven, I had an adoption wound. I did not feel worthy of love because my mother had put me up for adoption when I was very young. Now, I understood intellectually that I was lovable, but I had this emotional crater, a hole in my soul from that abandonment. And I think all of us have a similar kind of detachment from source. We need to recover that sense of love and unconditional love for self and then sharing that love with others, I think, is a very powerful tool to help us become more whole. Which involves complete acceptance of who you are when you're looking at the love of self. Right. Warts and all, yeah. Right. And from my point of view, the, the way to really get at that is, uh, is, is through meditation or centering prayer, to take aside, you know, 20 or 30 minutes a day or even more if you have time, for going within and for asking the universe to kind of give you what you need and to show you what you need to know in the moment to live this life and to more fully 
love and see yourself as a unified part of this universe, but also then see all those connections and relationships, and that your very conscious awareness is identical with the, the kind of being state of the entire universe, so that you're not separate from any part of it. And I think uh, it's one of the greatest damages of that materialist science and its uh, we, we uh, do, alteration we of we our do thinking. Have, they're going to cut us off, so maybe I can get you to come back to, to finish this or to continue the conversation on another podcast in another show, and we can go on with unconditional love and what that really might mean. Would you yeah, be... it's hard to do that in two minutes. <laughs> right. Very, very hard. It's, it's, thank you so we, much. We would love to have another conversation. Thank you for being a part of our show. Mindful Matters Love Sex Spirit can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Be sure to join Dr. Dory Lane for another exciting show next week.